That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. Alex. Yes. I want to talk about gay childless friends who hang out with us. The poor things. Yes. So we usually spend our afternoon with the kids every day. And I'm usually afraid to invite other gay men friends to hang out with us. Because I I'm know. thinking, you know, it's not really interesting. Like, why would you do? Why, why would you come? And last week I had a conversation with a gay friend of mine who doesn't have kids. Yes. And he said, you know, maybe some of the friends don't think the way you do about this because yeah. they don't just live it every day. So every once in a while you can invite them and worst case they just, you know, say some lie and, and that prevent them from coming. Well, so I think that, that for me, yes, I have the same problem. My mind goes into these really interesting places about it where it says, okay, so if you invite this person over to your house when your kid, with, with your kids, that's fine, but then you have to balance it out and make sure that you also invite them to do something with you without the kids for oh, the same amount of yeah because otherwise what you're doing is you're basically saying sure we'd love to see you all the time as long as it's always with the freaking kids no so i what i was saying so i invited daniel last week yes and i said to him you know what you can come at seven and hang out with the kids for a while and then the kids go to sleep at eight oh that's good hang out yeah that's good so but it's not like going out it's right. about like half of the time you're with us and yeah. half of the time we're i mean look we you. talked about this where we talked about gay friends and i think that there's really not much you can do about it i don't think it's particularly a gay issue i think that straight people have trouble uh integrating their friends who don't have kids the only difference is of course that but we're gay we're gay and we yeah, have a tendency better. to have more well, <laughs> the difference is we're gay and that's better. better if there is one message we are trying to deliver in this <laughs> podcast is being gay is better thank you Today we're talking about... Dice Squared. That's Ben. Oh. We used it. Uh, yes. Today we're talking about gay dads of color. And I don't know, Alex, should I say to them like the um, how hard it was to find uh, guests? Oh, I think we should absolutely talk about that. Because I think it, it has a lot to do with the issue itself. Yeah. So I've, I think that that is probably one of the most hardest episode to produce as a producer of the show. Yeah. I, I have to say that. And that's because we got this request to do this episode on Gay Dads of Color. And that was supposed to be the first episode of the season, of season mm -hmm. three. And I was trying to find people who want to talk about this, whether they're black or Asian or Latino. Yeah. And I just couldn't do that. Nobody so, would actually wanted to talk about this. And even though they said, yes, we want to be interviewed, we want to be on the podcast, and then said, okay, this is the subject, they would like, no. So well, wait a minute. Maybe so, another time. Wait a minute. So people said, I want to be on the podcast before they knew what the subject was? Yeah. I said, well, at some point where I just wanted to check if, that's, if there's a, a problem with the actual subject. I see. Because people kept either refusing or not responding. Yeah. And well, then, there is a problem. And then the I said, okay, yes, uh, why don't you come to our podcast? And they're like, yes, sure. So the subject is gay dad of color. Right. And I'm like, uh, uh, maybe, uh, no, no, maybe some other time. Everything about this is so filled with challenge. It's such an important topic right now. And at first, I wasn't really sure, well, why does it matter? And we talk about this interview in the interview. Why does it really matter to talk about Because we didn't, know, we, we didn't know what does it mean to do an episode about that. That's right. So that, that was part of the research. And it was part of the, actually, the fun of the interview was the fact that for once, you didn't come in with a full plan for how the discussion was going to go. And instead, we actually had to have the help of the those who we were interviewing in feeling our way through why is this an important topic and what do we have to talk about? Another thing that I discovered during my research is that now we call uh, the black community a minority. And there's researchers that says that by 2044, 
it's not going to be a minority anymore. Well, I wonder if they're still going to have these problems. That's not correct. The black community, the African-American community will still be a minority. The people of color, as it's categorized, will not be a, min- will not be a minority anymore. Daddy, that's QR.com. So we finally found interviewees and wonderful, yeah, two wonderful men. It was great. Uh, both dads, Joe Aaron Reed was with us in the studio. He's an actor from L.A. And Greg Yorgi Girdy, he was on the phone from Philadelphia. He's an attorney and an activist. And I think it was also great that it was a kind of diversity of fatherhood because Greg adopted his kids and Joe had kids through surrogacy. What? What is the word that you used? Diversity? diversity? Oh, diversity. I didn't understand it. Honey. Oh, diversity. <laughs> My husband is a foreigner. It's a great thing. Do you want thing. me to you say should, it again? You should all get a foreigner. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast Season 3, is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. Greg, hi, good morning. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? It's great to talk oh, to you. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. No, I think it's really important. I thank you both for reaching out because I think it's important to have all kinds of voices. Did you adopt uh, your three kids? Yes. We, our first kid was Bella. Uh, Annabella is her full name. Uh, she was just turning two at the time when we got her. And Xander was three days old. We went to the hospital to get him, wow. which is a whole different story. And Trevor came to us around six months. Now, Xander and Trevor are five years old, but they're a month apart with Xander being the oldest. So, and Joe, just a little bit background about you. You are also married? I'm also married, yes. I'm married, and um, uh, I've been married for about, what, five years? And I've got two children, five-year-old twins. Oh, and are you and are you also having an argument with your husband right now? Because <laughs> that's apparently a thing that's going around right now. Or are things good? Things are cool right now. Um, there's always an argument okay. to be had, really. Always. Are your kids adopted? Uh, no, we we did it uh, via surrogacy. Good. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we, we have, have a, a we have a mix. A mix. Yeah, we have a yes. diversity yes. here. Yes. Um, you know, we're in our third season of this podcast, and we've done a lot of episodes on any number, crazy number of topics. And one of the pieces of feedback that we've gotten from our listeners has been they would like to hear us uh, discuss topics related to people of color and to other minorities as well in a way that we have not. And I think that we were so fascinated by this because we're not sure why. And what we would love to ask you is... In a world where you're dealing with the niche that is already gay men with children, yes, why does it matter to talk about people of color? Ooh. I know. I didn't. I didn't promise you, you guys this was going to be an easy. Yeah, I, I just got here. I know. Well, <laughs> tough. well, you know, for us is it's we purposely, of course. I'm, I'm black, and and my husband Paul is is white, uh, and much younger than I am by the way. Um, (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast, trust me. Um, We decided to make our family diverse. And our first child is biracial. She's part Guatemalan and part Irish. Uh, In my opinion, she's probably the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. Uh, And it's weird because when we got her, Everybody's so happy, blah, blah, blah. We're in this nice little family. But I noticed that when I went to the store, people would think that either I took her from someone or I was like a housekeeper. Oh, I see. Except for one lady. She was an older black woman. And I remember her coming to me and she says, your daughter is absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I said, thank you. I think what she meant by that is, Who's is that kid? So she she allowed me to say thank you or allowed me to say, no, that's not my kid. That's right. my girlfriend's daughter. Right. You know, that kind of thing. I think it's important to have these types of shows is because of what happens next when we get our other kids, two black boys. And particularly from Paul's point of view, 
um, as a white man, he gets so many comments about that that it's it's not funny. Where the where's the mother? I right. never get that. Right. Uh, also, too, there are different things that black men probably have to go through than I say a typical white gay man. Um, it's a lot of issues that come up. Um, it's also cultural things which we embrace. We think it's beautiful. Where others think, oh, well, you have to do this, you have to do that. For instance, uh, I have been told through my side that these kids should have more of a diverse culture, mm. which they do, of course. But I guess it's not enough for certain people. Can so you like can you be can you be a little bit more specific about that example? So what do you mean by they there are people who think that your kids don't have enough of a certain element of culture? Give me give me a feel for what that means. Well, what I take it from that is basically my I'm from Texas. I'm a native Texan and Paul is from this area. Uh, okay. I guess he's from Montgomery County. Okay. And uh, one of the things that we don't do enough is go back home. Mm. And that go back home to the South and deal with my family and how we were raised and how we do certain things. Uh, one of the things that when I was born, we were born Baptist. I since uh, converted to Catholicism okay. just to be consistent with the family. Uh, that didn't go over well back wow. home. Yeah. Um, also, too, hair. Hair? Yeah. Oh, hair. Hair. Got hair. it. Yes. Not the musical. Then, <laughs> just the way we style hair and, and different things like that is uh, certain people think it needs to be consistent. What I mean by certain people, like uh, my family, other black families think that, you know, at a certain age, boys shouldn't have their hair cut a certain way. They have to get it cut certain, like the way you present yourself. I see. So what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my husband is white as well. And, um, and we had children via surrogacy and, we, and I'm mixed, uh, half black and half white. And so we ended up using a, uh, a mixed half black and half white donor. Mm -hmm. So we thought they would come out some kind of shades of caramel and it would look like if two men could have a baby, this is what it would be. Yes. And, um, that's not what happened at all. My daughter looks exactly like me and my son looks exactly like my husband. Oh my God. And so, you know, similarly to you, um, you know, when I'm out with my son, uh, in particular, you know, he looks like a blonde haired, blue eyed white boy. Right. And so people, you know, you, you, I think we talked about this before at one point that, you know, oftentimes if you do see um, a person of color with a white child, it's assumed that they are a nanny, um, right. a help of some yeah. sort, a teacher, a tutor or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when, when you have a, a child that's having a tantrum in the, the middle of, you know, uh, a store or whatever, and they're screaming, no, no, no. And there's a six foot two black man grabbing yes. this blonde haired, blue eyed child. People are like, who are you to oh, this child? And exactly. trying to have to like deal with the tantrum and explain who you are to someone is not anyone's. Wow. I mean, every, you know, we all we're all parents. We all have tantrums that we deal with. Oh, I, our children I, have never had a tantrum. No. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Season three, no tantrums. <laughs> totally. And so, yeah, I mean, it, that's definitely something. And I think that that boils down to like a, a, a bigger conversation, which is, you know, the idea of racial constructs in society right. and, and what that means. Um, and, uh, and I feel like, you know, uh, black gay dads of color, gay dads of color in general, not just black. Um, I think it's really important that we are very out and vocal, mm. um, because I think that, um, you know, there are many gay dads who are white or white appearing. And I think that's the predominantly the culture of of gay parenting right. nowadays. Right. Um, and I think that that will continue to change. But I think that, um, and, and I think a lot of that is because, you know, as gay men, you're taught for the majority of your life that, you know, kids would not be an option. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so finally, you know, now it is an option. And I feel like with gay dads of color, there needs to be more of us um, because I feel like um, gay men of color have so much to offer specifically of their culture and upbringing and uh, values, things that, that may or may not align with their white counterparts, but, but that are specific to our culture. Right. And so I think that it's important to pass those things along. And I think that, um, you know, gay men are going to have a different experience than say a straight black man. So 
Um, I think that it's 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 important for us to to you know pass along our values as well as as parents. Right. You know, I think what you just described the the story of the tantrum in the store. Um, it, it hit me pretty hard because while um, Jan and I have both experienced, as all gay dads, and many straight dads have probably experienced the where's the mom oh, 100%. freaking yeah. thing, you know, where it's actually perfectly fine to slap that person. It, it is. <laughs> it is. I check with the police. You're allowed said, to slap yes. that person. But <laughs> okay. you slap uh, that yeah. person doesn't mean that it's allowed. <laughs> no, but actually, no, what do but, you do? What What's... What do you do in this situation? Well, it depends. Um, you know, we're human. And, you know, some days is a good day. Some days it's not a great day. And right. um, sometimes I, I have the time and sometimes I don't. Um, so sometimes I feel uh, obligated and sometimes it's a joy to educate someone. Right. And let them know that this is, in fact, my child. Um, and, uh, you know, usually if they're together, they're, there's the confused look that's happening. <laughs> right. And sometimes yeah. I love to educate because I think... Our job as gay dads, not all the time, like I said, but is to educate, is to be open and vulnerable and, and put ourselves out there because how can we expect people to normalize, you know, for lack of a better word, normalize something that we're not willing to put out there as right. normal? And so I do feel um, a sense of obligation, but also a sense of joy in, in educating people, letting them know that we're out there, we exist, and we're not this like crazy monster you know, lurking somewhere. Right. Yeah. But then some days it's not a good day and sh you know, uh, a cash year will say, you know, um, where's, where's mom. And I'm like, Oh, uh, she's home and she's cooking dinner. Right. You know, like I just don't have the energy. So <laughs> we don't let her leave the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Greg, what do you do? Well, Joe, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm the same way. It depends on what day it is. If I'm coming home from work, I've had a bad day and it's just, I, I just don't feel like dealing with it. It is what it is, but some days I am so empowered and we are given lessons that day. Sure. Trust me. Right. Um, but one of the things I learned, particularly with Bella as she gets old, she's nine, uh, we had a situation at the airport where uh, security split us up. Uh, I was with Bella and Paul was with Trevor. And um, <clears throat> Bella was so upset by that. And I told the guy, I said, look, we're together, we're family. I have his passport, I have his. Uh, Boarding pass. I said, we're together. I could see it in his eyes. He was committed. He said, no, split up. And so I went into this big old thing about how our family's made. Yeah. And people were like, wow. And you could see on his face that, you know, you put him in a bad situation. So the late, the, I guess the supervisor came over and said, just bring us together. You're damn right. <laughs> well, he put so you in a bad situation. That, you didn't Bella put him in a bad situation. looking to see if I would take up for her. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's that show of strength, like, no, I'm going to keep this family yeah, together. Right. It was important to her. And so I kind of now address that, not just because of what other people think, but what my kids think. I want my kids to know that I'm going to be there to protect them. Uh, we're in a mixed family, and we did right. this on purpose, mm -hmm. and that does come with certain things. So yeah, got to do. I hear you. You know, and, and I'll tell you what you just said before about teaching when you say you you have to say the name i'm joe <laughs> joe i'm sorry joe. i forgot this is a podcast yeah. <laughs> pointing is not enough you know it's so i'm so natural to be on television that i just um anyway yes flip your hair uh, i flipped my hair i don't actually have very much of it but i flipped it um what 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 joe said what joe said about um about teaching is uh something i feel so passionate about and you know we've talked about it on the podcast plenty and my my husband Jan and I have argued about it a lot too uh, because I think that um, where we sometimes split is the difference between my my belief I'm a little maybe a little bit more Pollyanna about people than Jan is okay my belief that people are ready they're not everybody of course but even the idiots who say idiot things to you like where's the mom mm -hmm. you know even those people they're very close they're close well it's you not just, malicious right they're just dumb sometimes it is yep. all right but oftentimes it's not it's right. just ignorance right. the ones yeah. who stand at the street corner of gay pride with signs that say yeah. fags are going to hell I'm not going to educate yeah. them. But no. but the ones that just don't get it, 
the example and and you know it's it's kind of sad that you have to be a married man with children in order to teach people about gays 100% but god knows nobody is going to have an easier time of easing people into being okay with gays than a gay man who is married and has children well, because it it's just like them right it, it's yeah. just like oh you look like me how can that be right is there a difference between the example and the teaching that that my husband and I can do in the Target mm-hmm. and the one that Joe, you, and you, Greg, can do when you're um, uh, talking to your family or in, I don't know if either of you go to church, but if you went to a church that was predominantly black mm-hmm. or whatever the hell it was, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a Is there a different function that you play in teaching in that community than just teaching in general? Well, I I think that uh, we all serve a a very similar function in that we, just by merely existing, we teach. Um, But of course, like, you know, it's the same way as representation matters. Uh, You know, a child watching a little black princess on Disney is going to see herself. I think it's easier... Um, In some cases, for some people who are ignorant, not in a, in a, I choose to be ignorant way, just in an ignorant way, just literal ignorance. I think it's easier for them to see someone who looks like them. Um, All of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you look like me. You probably have been brought up with some of this, the same morals and values as me. Not, not, that's a very big generalization, but. But they assume that. They assume that. They're they're assuming a lot of things already. So it's (laughs) safe to say that they, they might assume that. Right. And so I think, yeah, when you look at, when you look at someone who looks like you, who has very similar things to you, it just so happens that there's one big difference um, I think it's easier it, it might be easier for them to understand so and and that's again going back to why I think it's important for for gay black dads and or black dads of color uh, gay dads of color sorry right it's a pretty um, complicated thing to get out of your mouth it really is it's We've got a lot of stuff going on <laughs> a lot yeah. of colors many colors <laughs> Um, yeah, that's why I think it's really important for us to be visible because I think that, you know, it's very easy for, you know, this is a very loose hypothetical, but it it could be very easy for, you know, a black church say to see a a couple of gay white dads and say, well, that's what they're doing. But if they see a couple of gay black dads or an interracial couple or, you know, whatever, something that's a little bit closer to home, maybe there's this this kind of understanding that, oh, it's not a them thing. I think there's so much of a, this is a them thing and we're a us. And, and I think that, that it, it, it just, representation matters. Right. And right. you know what, just to add to that, Joe, I think in today's climate, I think with black men, with the stereotypes that go with a black man, I think a black man just is born, uh, sometimes looks as if he is a weapon. You know, some people look at a big black man, you know, I'm 6'3", uh, a big guy. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. I think just came out. NBA. It doesn't matter when people just see me and they think of all sorts of things. I think what they don't know, though, is I am married to a white man and we have three kids mm-hmm. with the same last name. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens, at least in the black community, where we don't talk about being gay in my family, we never discussed it. And it was always you know, Greg and Paul, but they never got into details. Mm-hmm. We knew what it was about. And your friend. So it had kids. Now we had to force that conversation. Right. Uh, now we had to be invited to certain things. And then our roles were clearly defined. Sure. They're married. They have kids. Uh, in our community, black community, um, now we're going against all kinds of stereotypes and people don't know how to handle that. So that's why they probably ask whose kid is that and what's that. And sometimes I want to go into that conversation because I think it's necessary. Like even in South Philadelphia, I live in a, a community that is an old school uh, black community. And I, I was reluctant to even bring it up. But those, I, you know, I'm not going to be embarrassed. One of the things that Paul said that when we decided to go down this path is that we have to now be proud of ourselves. Uh, back in the day, they just thought we were just uh, roommates because, or they thought that he was my son, actually. I guess. <laughs> oh, I guess because of age oh yeah. <laughs> we were just like two athletes, they thought, at one point. But right. I said, now we have to be openly gay. Right. And we have to do that for our family. Yes, 100%. For your, like you said earlier, it's for your, for your kids. 
I, th- yes. I find like now I'm in a position where my kids, they mirror back to you and you guys have it as well. Yeah. All parents have it. Your children mirror back what you show them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I'm a pain in the ass. No, uh, <laughs> apparently. So um, and so because of that, like you said, you know, how, how your daughter, how you want, really wanted to stick up for your family, for your daughter at, at the airport, is that I find that I have to be a teacher and I have to show my strength as a gay man, as a black man, as a father, as just a man in general. Um, yes. and, I, and, I, and I try and teach, you know, my, like I said, my, my son looks like my husband and my daughter looks like me. And so I have to teach her about how her skin is beautiful. And I mm-hmm, have to right. teach my son that even though he appears white, that he is a quarter black. Right. And so he, you know, he might not be, you know, brown, we say on the outside, but he's brown on the inside. Right. And so it's all the same. It's all equal. And so, and and in teaching them, you know, February was Black History Month, and in teaching them, you know, about, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and and kind of the the stories, you know, from, from civil rights era and things like that, learning, you know, them learning, watching my two kids with interracial gay fathers and one appearing white and one appearing black watching them learn about how people were treated differently according to the color of their skin they just don't understand and so i feel like there is progress being made well i actually wanted to ask about that so you know um uh, our children are growing up in the bubble of bubbles, of all bubbles. Uh, yeah. West of the bubble. We're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're like West. We're like concentric bubbles, right? I was driving here and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, you're in it. Oh, we're, <laughs> oh, we're in it, all right. Anyway, well, I just have to say that I have a picture that I think we'll post on, on Daddy Squared of at 8.45 in the morning of on Sunday morning of a guy in full drag from the night before on one of those little scooter things. Oh, yeah. Like, obviously going home. Yes. Know? And I was like, oh, finally, we're, we're in the bubble. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. Anyway, so so um, what I do wonder is this. My kids are growing up in the bubble. Mm-hmm. I don't, of course I teach them about the fact that, you know, some some people have two dads, some people have two moms, some people have a dad and mom, some people only have one parent, all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And our school does it too because our school is super bubbly also mm-hmm. and fine. But I do actually have this question. When do you, so you your kids and uh, and Greg, your kids are older than ours. Uh, how, how old are your kids? Five, minor five. Oh, yeah. a, a little, little yours are what? Four, four, right? Four. Two four-year-olds, okay. right? So... When do you start teaching your kids about the bad stuff, right? So, so far we've taught them it's, it's all wonderful, mm-hmm. right? We haven't, we haven't introduced to them yet. There are people who will hate your dads or there are people who don't like But, but it's like a double, like we have this uh, Jewish thing. So mm-hmm. we teach them about people. Some, some people hate Jews but and some don't. people hate gays. But we haven't done that yet. And so my Not question, yet. right. So my question is, when is it right and how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what the thing about, first of all, I'm, I'm the mean one and I'm the not fun <laughs> well, we one. See, we, Paul, we see that. Fun one. He, <laughs> yes. He's the loved one. And so he wants to make life so perfect for them. And it's not like that. My thing is I'm not opposed of a little bit of adversity. I think it builds strength. I think when Paul and I are no longer alive, these kids will know exactly what to do if they are confronted with some sort of adversity. So with that said, I don't teach them bad things or tell them, hey, look, this is going to happen. Kind of wait till it happens a little bit and then use it as a teaching point. For instance, the airports situation, we all talked about it. Right. Uh, It kind of moved into another conversation, which is political. I guess I won't get into it now. But it was during that time. And so Bella had a lot of questions. So both Bella and Trevor were confronted with something. And they always confronted with, you have a mother. And they'll say, no, I don't have a mother. And they get really angry about that. And they said, no, I have a dad and a daddy. Mm -hmm. And most of the kids, after a while, they just let it go. But then Bella came home and she, she brought it up. And she said, I don't understand why people keep asking me that. And I said, because families are different. I said, so... You just keep saying what you have to say and say, this is my family. This is the way we are. And just keep it moving. It is what it is. Right. Um, that's not going to change us as a family, but you may change how they view families. Right. Um, so I think 
I my thing is is to let issues happen as long as it's, it's nothing that's going to harm the kids or hurt them. Uh, I like them to bring those situations to me, and then sometimes I even like to ask him, "Well, how are you going to deal with that?" Right. What do you do? Right. So just kind of empower them to do things. I think my boys are five and Bella's nine, so they're at a good age where they can do it. And they're normally dealing with people their own age, so it's nothing that's going to really, really hurt them. Right. Um, One thing that my parents never would have done, just because I grew up in a very religious household, is um, nowadays, and it didn't exist back then really, but nowadays um, there are children's books, you know, with you know, gay parents and, you know, um, one of the, one of the ones that we, we loved in, well, love in our house is, um, Marlon Bundo. I don't know if you guys have, it's on the, so it's on the shelf somewhere, multiple copies probably. We, and, um, and one thing, one line from that, that my kids will randomly say out loud all the time because I, because I harped on it is different, is special. Mm. And so what, I guess the way that I've, I've tried to approach it is not teaching the kids that, people will hate us or that we're, um, I haven't even, I don't even know that they know minority. I think it's for us, it's more about, you know, we're, we're different, right? You know, we're different than a lot of the people that you'll see. And it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just, we're different. And so different is special and that's okay. Um, I will say that we started the kids in, in nursery when they were 18 months when we were living in London. And as they got a little bit older uh, in like the three, three year kind of range is when they start kind of role playing. And uh, one of the teachers at a parent teacher conference said to me, um, it's so great because um, they were the only set of twins, but also uh, they were the only gay parents. Mm-hmm. We okay. were the only gay parents at the school. And she said, it's so great because now when the kids role play, because um, they would tell every week you had to bring in like a family photo and talk about your family and what you did that week. And, but because of that, when the kids would role play, if there were two boys left over that had to be paired together, they wouldn't play mommy and daddy. They would play daddy and Papa. Right. And it, to me, it was like such an an eye opener because it, it made me realize that kids don't care. Right. You know, these gender, new generations, they don't care. Everything that they know is taught. So all we have to do is tell them, this is what it is. Right. You know, there's, it's not a good or bad or an ugly. It just, this is what it is. Right. And therefore, the new generations grow up thinking that this is what it is. So my kids think this is what it is. And, and you know, when I talk about at some point in history, people were, didn't like people for the color of their skin or they couldn't get a job or they couldn't, you know, we were reading um, one of the little, I forget the whatever it was, but it was a, like a kid's book on Maya Angelou and her, uh, her story. Right. Uh, this was last night. And, um, and we were talking in, about how she, she couldn't get a job because of the color of her skin at the time. And she had done all these like random jobs in the black community, but sorry, <laughs> I see the eyes. Oh, like, you're doing going good. Back. You're doing good. Microphone and, skills. And so, you know, it's, it's really great to have these little kind of, uh, conversations with, with my kids for them to understand that, oh, this was how it was at some point. And I'm not saying that it doesn't exist now because it certainly does. Right. But I think that letting them know that people may think differently than we do. Right. And that's okay that they think differently than we do. We're allowed to disagree with them. You may encounter things that we may not like. And, you know, Greg, like you said, once you encounter something, you talk about it. Right. Because obviously you don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist because that's just going to cause trauma later on, really. Right. But I think it's important that in teaching them that bad things do happen and people may not like you for X, Y, and Z. I think it's important to, to educate them in a way that is um, uplifting and in a way that is not going to carry on trauma of being a black person, being a Jewish person, being a gay person. I am so with you on that. And, I, and I'll tell you that I think um, whether it's blacks, Jews, gays, women, Anything, you know, those women people. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of them. Apparently, there are women. <laughs> um, but it's such a fine line between understanding the challenges that yeah. a minority—women are not a minority, but a minority—face versus establishing victimhood. One hundred percent. And I think that um, raising children that feel empowered and yes. feel like, yeah, I get it. 
But that's not where I'm coming from. I'm going to assume that I am in a position uh, where I can have what I want. Yes. It's the brass ring. Like, if you can make your children feel from the beginning that, yes, I realize I have some kind of a minority element to who Mm -hmm. I am, but, uh, you know, hear me roar. Yeah. That is the brass ring. Well, and 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 I think also it forces us, because obviously we're of a different generation than our children. They're growing up in, a, in an environment, in a bubble, per se, and, you know, they, they don't have necessarily all the, the drawbacks that we maybe had when we were children. So it forces us to look at ourselves, and it forces us to evolve, because I can't keep putting on you what it's like to be a mixed kid in the 1980s, because it's 2020. Right. Yeah. So I have to look at myself and say... Oh, okay. So what is it today? Who am I today? What does it mean to be me today? You know, there are many mixed kids walking, all sorts of mixed kids walking around. So I can't pass on this, this kind of thing that I may or may not still be dealing with because it's a different day. When do you pass on victimhood to your children? You know, I I love my role as a provider and protector since I'm the mean one. (laughs) Uh, So I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure my kids stay in a somewhat bubble. But if something happens that we address it. But I think sometimes I can be a little overly uh, diversified in the sense that I always say, you know, everybody's diverse, diverse, diverse. I think we've done such a well, I've done such a, uh, a big job of saying, you know, this is the way our family is. I think sometimes my kids view maybe a a man and a woman as unusual. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. I totally Uh, know what you're saying. I agree with you. It's a real interesting challenge because you can create this weird world for your children where they think this is the most common model. Exactly. And, And so we, I don't know. Sometimes I look at it and say, you know, we're doing a heck of a job doing this, but then I don't know. Um, you know, basically, I think like any other parent, no matter what color you are, what your sexual orientation, we don't have a, a book. I mean, it's oh, just no. we make mistakes. And what I tell my kids when I'm driving and I say a curse word, daddy's flawed. Ooh. It is what it is. Uh, don't Ooh. say that word. It's a bad word. Right. Uh, sorry, but it's out there. Just don't say it. It's just like anything else. We just going to mess up. And I think. I'll look at it and see and say, hey, look, my dad, your grandparents are man and woman. uh, So it's not crazy. It's just this is where our family is. So for me to answer your question, I think that that I have to first identify where I am the victim. So it's like working on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. And and if if I do that and working on myself, then I won't be passing that to my kids. So I believe in like that we are the reflection. I mean, they get everything and they are like sponges, especially in, in these early ages. Yep. So the more you work on yourself and the more you identify what it is in yourself that, that is, makes you be like that. If you don't want to pass it on to your kids, that's what I would do. Like it's like hours of therapy. Yeah, 100%. I would say for myself. <laughs> so speaking for myself, I am really perfect in every way. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, no. Uh, That's wh- why we never fight. <laughs> well, when we fight, it's because you're mistaken. Um, no, look, uh, I, I think, because uh, I asked the question without having any idea how to answer it, which is probably not what you're supposed to do in an interview. Uh, but I, I think what I would say is this. I am really fortunate, as I said, to have been raised by parents who imbued me with a real sense that I'm okay and that even before, you know, I knew that I was gay, that, like, I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am. So I don't think that I in any way communicate that concept of shame uh, to my kids. I think, if anything, the one thing that I do, and maybe this is kind of counterintuitive, is 
I harp on these differences, not not because they're bad or I'm ashamed or or because people are out to get us, but because I love them. Sure. I love the differences and I love talking about how they have two daddies and other people have a daddy and mommy. I love talking about how we're Jewish and the weird ass things that it means that you're Jewish and like how that makes you different. I love that stuff and maybe I love it too much because what it results mm -hmm. in is it may result in my kids um, hyper-focusing on the differences um, when I should be balancing it out against the similarities. Because obviously, sure. we're so much yeah. more similar than we are. Different. Sure, of course. Yeah. Other than that, I'm really perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I also, I wanted to ask you guys, what can us, what can people who are not of color mm -hmm. can do in order to be more open and, and welcoming. And I mean, supportive. And supportive. Well, I feel like you're doing it. I mean, you're you're devoting yeah, an entire episode of a well, podcast, you know? <laughs> those who don't have... I mean, for example... Everybody I, I has a that, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that uh, it was not a while ago when I went with my kids to the park and there were several kids right there and uh, one kid was uh, black. Mm -hmm. And Ben came to me and said, he doesn't give me a turn. And I said... I'm saying who, and I'm praying. Don't say the black kid. Mm -hmm, yeah, he's like this kid, this kid right there. He doesn't give me a turn on the on the swing. And I said, which kid? I wanted to see what he would say, like yeah. if he sees that. The kids with the orange shirt. Yeah. So they don't see it they at don't, all. Yeah. They don't really care. They yeah. don't see it. It's it's us. It's it, us who who are you know thinking that before that. And I'm and I'm thinking, is that even a disservice? I mean, should I tell him about? Or should we talk about it or raise it or wait for them to to ask questions or, well, or to as comment? They, as they get older, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, like we've, we've said, I mean, people are going to bring things to your front door that you are either prepared for or not, and you're going to have to deal right. with it. I mean, I don't think it needs to be brought out that, um, you know, which kid, because in a way it's like, please don't, please don't say the black kid. And at the same time, it's like, why didn't you say the black kid? Right. That would have been easier for me to understand, <laughs> okay. you know? And so it does again in a situation like that, where he's like, oh, it's the kid in the orange shirt. It is a, a moment to stop and say, huh, why, why would that have been the go-to for me? Right. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's why I think all that's these... That's what I thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And these are, these are all little nuggets for us. These are children drop us little Easter eggs as, as we go right. for us to say, why did I think that? Why did I want to do that? What, what, why is it easier for me? Yeah. And the, and the next thought would be for, for me, like I, like he went back to the swing and I'm like all thinking with myself in, course, you're, in your, in your feelings <laughs> yeah. and your thoughts. And I'm, uh, and I was thinking, you know, some kids are not going to say the kids with the orange shirt. And some kids are going to, yeah. you know, insult him or whatever. Yeah. And he comes back and dealing with it with with that in in such an early age yeah. but and so how, if, what do you say to him if i can focus the question a little bit further so um a year ago i don't know if you remember this we went to a party with a lot it was a gay dad's party remember that the swimming pool my god anyway um and there were a lot of kids there and my son adam he was three at the time comes running over to me he's very upset and he says that boy was mean to me, just like what Jan was just saying, a different, different story. Um, and he's pointing. And there are like seven kids over there, and I say which one. And there are a few other dads standing right next to me. And he says, the brown one, <laughs> right? And the other dads, who I think were all white, when they were like, ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Everybody said, ay, ay, like, Ugh, right? And here's my question. So I, I was not going to say to him, oh, don't say that. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like... Let's, makes it taboo. Yeah, let's not make it taboo. But um, but my question to you would be, what is the thing to say to him then? Because here's the thing, though I think all four of four of us would agree that it shouldn't be you taboo. You just override my question. I'm just no, <laughs> no, wait. Because I think we all four of us but agree... But you're perfect. No. <laughs> right, let them... Let edit, them edit, edit. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that all four of us would agree it shouldn't be taboo. But we do have to guide our children, too, mm -hmm. not to put themselves and other people into an uncomfortable position. So what should I tell my kid um, so that he does not mm, trip over this? Well, the what, about the, what about the reverse? Since you've reversed the question, what about the reverse of what actually happened? If it's the brown one, why not? Oh, you mean the boy in the orange shirt? 
Exactly. Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. It gives it a chance to say, I'm I'm identifying him as something different than how you've identified him, but you're not bad for identifying him like that because right. he is different than you. He does right. have brown skin, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but you know, I mean, I don't know. The thing is, he actually pointed out something that was different to identify who did it, and I don't look at it as a bad thing. I think we get a little riled up. I think kids don't see what we see. Mm-hmm. We know history. We know what's going we don't on. Have the back con- there. They don't have the connotation. So, if my kids were to do that, I would let it go and just keep it moving. But then maybe later have a conversation about it. You know, to see where they're coming from with that. I don't think it's a conversation at that moment that should have been had with with the kid, but. Um, I think we put a lot of our stuff on kids. And I think kids are just at a certain level where it's not, I mean, he was just describing the kid. So it's not, not that big of a deal. You know, if it was something negative, like he said some sort of bad word, then that may have needed to be a discussion at the time. But I, I don't, I don't see a problem with that at all. Well, from my point of view. Well, Gentlemen, on that note, uh, listen, I, I just want to say that uh, we didn't know what we were getting into. <laughs> we, I didn't this. either. <laughs> and and I, I feel like that is part of why I am really very, very excited about this episode, because I, I feel like feeling our way around in this stuff is exactly what we should be doing. And it it felt great to be able to spend an hour with you guys talking about it. So thank, thank you, you so much. very much. Thank great. You, thank you, you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank All you. Right. Nice, to, nice to talk to you. Right. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, have a good one. Bye, guys. You are listening to Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. We're uh, coming back from the interview with Greg and Joe. That was really great, and it moved me. Really, I I learned a lot. I feel that I've learned I've I've learned a lot, and I really now want to actually help gay dads of color be more visible. I think it's really really important. And you know what's moved me the most is that story about the tantrum when he has a white boy yep. and a six foot black man holding a yep. child in a tantrum and that's it's really horrible i can't picture this it's really it really moved me it reminded me when he was telling that story about the gay dad shaming episode or whatever it was that we did where i told the story of how a woman you know yelled at me because of something i did with my kid and she said because i'm a mother right and how it 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 hurt and it and it made me feel uh, so excluded and i can imagine that his story this story is like that multiplied by a 100 yeah. because now the criticism is also essentially who are you and why are you the parent of this child and that is that's that's just yeah, that's terrible. What yeah. can I say? Uh, now, throughout the course of the past two seasons, we've received some questions about surrogacy for gay dads of color. Mm. So we turned to our friends at ORM Fertility and talked to Dr. Bankowski, asked him all of your questions in this short 10-minute interview. Um, it's related exclusively to surrogacy, if you guys are interested to, to hear what he had to say. That is great. Let's get started. I'm Alex, and I have Jan with me here. Thank you for taking the time. Hi, doctor. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. African-American dads tend to have these impressions that the majority of the surrogates are white and the majority of egg donors are white. Is that is this true? Um, well, so I, I think that depends uh, sort of on their experience. We, um, and I can only talk from, from my experience, if you, if you look at egg donors, for example, we recruit our egg donors from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and the recruitment of the donors that, that we are able to accept into our program reflects the demographics of the Pacific Northwest, uh, which is, I think, predominantly Caucasian. Uh, it's very common that we have patients that are uh, are not Caucasian, and they're maybe African-American or, or Asian or um, of different uh, ethnicities, and if they are searching for a specific egg donor, it's common that they cast a wider net and search um, not just in the Pacific Northwest, but in um, some of the donor egg databases that that pull donors from from all around the country. Uh, surrogates are kind of a different thing because uh, when someone chooses an egg donor, they're looking for demographics that will genetically 
um, relate to either their background or, or, you know, whatever demographics they're trying to choose for. But the demographics of a surrogate don't, don't matter as much. So from the clinic side, um, you know, we are typically recruiting the egg donors, um, but a surrogacy agency would be recruiting a surrogate population. And I think there's certainly more demand on a limited amount of women that qualify to be a good, a good surrogate. So in the egg donor category, how do the percentages break down? Yeah, so, so I have I, never seen um, statistics on what percentage of, of donor egg databases are of particular ethnicities. I think that depends on where you're recruiting. Uh, we do know that from national data on utilization of fertility services that there uh, there's just more demand for for you know Caucasian donors than there are of different ethnicities, and so uh, that probably explains why there are more Caucasian donors um, in a lot of the databases um, because if they're not being picked, uh, you know they wouldn't necessarily a donor egg agency wouldn't specifically try to recruit for those different ethnicities. So if an African-American couple comes in and says, you know, we want to work with an African-American surrogate or egg donor or both, they can do that. Uh, what does it mean from the clinic's side? Yeah, so they can certainly do that. Um, as I said, you know, most of our patients are choosing um, egg donors that have physical characteristics that, that, you know, are desirable to them. If they're African-American, they, they often want an African-American donor so that their, their children, you know, re- resemble them. And so the more specific that any intended parent might be about what criteria they're looking for, the more they're going to have to uh, open up their, their search criteria because, you know, one clinic might only have a few African-American donors, whereas another one, let's say they were recruiting from New York City, they might have, you know, 20. Um, so it's certainly, you know, an, an intended parent or recipient couple should be able to choose the characteristics of the donor that they want. And so that just might affect how they um, how they search, whether it's an internal donor egg database that's inside the clinic or, or whether they use one of the national ones like donor concierge or something like that. Um, because there are so many more intended parents than there are qualified surrogates, and, and this explains why every surrogacy agency essentially out there that is doing a really high job of, of, of you know, bringing in cost-effective but yet qualified, medically qualified surrogates um, has a wait list in time. There are just more intended parents than there are qualified surrogates. So if you're putting additional uh, restrictions on which type of a, of, of a surrogate, whether it's a racial type or, or any other that, that you want to, to match with, it may take you longer. So the effect is that whatever agency you're working with, that might delay your match time several months. And so, so the, patients so the way should be aware for of that. Uh, an African-American surrogate, you're saying it's going to be longer? It potentially could be if you know, no matter what you say, I want this type of surrogate, the, the more things that you're asking for, it, it may take on because that might not be the surrogate that the agency has ready for you at the time. You mentioned something about uh, national uh, listings. Do, is it sort of like a, an, an umbrella listing of all of the agencies or, or how does it how does it work? Yeah, so there's there's really two different ways that you can create a, a donor egg agency and a database of donors to use. One is the way that we do it where we only recruit from within a certain radius of where we have clinics, which is basically the Pacific Northwest, so that we can do all of the testing from genetic carrier screening to genetic family trees to ultrasounds to, to um, you know, psychological screening. We want to do all of that ourselves. And so we're going to have donors that come to us from a particular area that have been fully screened. The other way to do it is to create an independent agency that's not necessarily related to one clinic or another, and just to recruit nationally through a a much larger uh, framework. But in those cases, those agencies are not run by fertility specialists and they don't have psychologists and genetic counselors on their staff. So they've probably just done a few tests of an egg donor. So if you were to choose that egg donor, say she comes from um, Miami, um, we would have to complete all of the testing and screening that 
we would have already done in our own internal program and rely on the, the healthcare providers in Miami to, to bring that donor up to the same um, level of screening and, and safety so that we're going to make sure that she gives the best chance to have a genetically healthy baby. Okay, uh, last question for you. Um, you know, I spoke with, uh, with a few intended parents who are African-American before this interview just to realize like what their concerns are. And all of them express the concern that, you know, that they're, they, they always hearing stories. And we also talk about it in the podcast on the relationship with the surrogate before, during and after the birth. And they're afraid that um, uh, they're going to be some uncomfortable conversation about race or any other uncomfortable conversation with the surrogate if she's going to be from a different race. Is there a role that the agency plays um, in facilitating potentially uncomfortable conversations? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And it's really important to understand the role that I think a, a really good agency should play. And they really do two things. The first thing is that they recruit their surrogates and they help with all of the social screening and, of course, work with a fertility clinic to do the medical screening really important in that process to your question is the, the actual matching of a surrogate to an appropriate intended parent. The, the second part of a, uh, an agency's role is to case manage the pregnancy after the fertility center has created the baby and the surrogate, you know, we now see surrogates from 40 states. They go off to their own OBGYNs. It's the agency that, that stands beside the intended parents throughout that process of pregnancy, throughout all those ultrasounds and those, that monitoring and throughout the delivery until the baby's born and, and ready to do the paperwork to establish parentage. So the second part of it is really, really important because that's, you know, the, the part that determines the, 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 the health of the baby, the pregnancy and, and, and that relationship, the foundation of that relationship comes from having a good match. And so the best thing that an agency can do is do a really thorough vetting of what the surrogate's beliefs are, what their desires are, what type of intended parents that they want to match, and to work directly with the intended parents so that they can find them a surrogate that is going to be a good match for them, both, you know, physically, you know, because they obviously we all want this to work and the baby to be healthy, but also um, from a personality standpoint, from a belief standpoint, and that's where uh, you know a really good agency spends a lot of time matching you. And if it takes a month longer or two months longer, that's not important in the grand scheme of things. As long as you are matched with somebody that believes what you believe, and you know not only are the legal contracts you know protecting that, but just your ability to communicate together in the same way and to be comfortable if you know if there is an issue of race or anything. The more work that's put into doing that up front the better the relationship goes during the pregnancy. Dr. Bankowski, um, ORM Fertility, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. We're coming back. Hi, we're Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. I feel like this has been um, one of the more important episodes that we've done. And... I feel more than anything else that what makes it special and important is the fact that it's uncomfortable, you know, um, or at least that it started out uncomfortable. We started this episode not really knowing what we were talking about, why we were asking these questions, etc. And I do feel, and I think I've expressed this a few times on this podcast over the last years, that one of the worst things that we're doing these days in society is we're avoiding having conversations about things that we're concerned might offend somebody or might be too difficult. And uh, it turns out that most of the time, I'm sure not all of the time, people really want to talk about these things. They want to teach. And I loved the fact that we could talk to these guys and ask them questions that maybe felt a little bit embarrassing because we should have known better or I don't know what. And granted, in the context, they weren't going to say, you bastard, and walk out of the studio. But 
that doesn't seem like that would be the way they would act towards anyone who asked them questions that were maybe um, a, a little bit ignorant, um, you know, etc. And I love the fact that we had that kind of conversation with each other. And I would only advocate to all of our listeners that if somebody comes to you and asks you a question about being gay, about being a gay dad, about being a gay dad of color, if you are one of those as well, um, look at it as an opportunity to teach instead of as an opportunity to be offended. On that note, I want to thank, again, thank uh, Joe and Greg. You guys were amazing. Amazing. And, and um, if you guys want to follow them, on Instagram, all the details are right now at daddysqr.com. You can also write to us at hello at daddysqr.com if you want to share your story, tell us any comment that you have about this episode or in general. We received an amazing, amazing voicemail that I wow. can't play. I don't know uh, why no. you think you can't play I it, but okay. I asked him, and it's a little bit sensitive, somebody from Russia that really blew my mind. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, text us or send us a voicemail to 213 793-8939. Alex, do you know we have only two episodes for the season? Two episodes left for the left. season? Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Yes, I know. And um, I, I really want to keep in touch with you guys. So after the season, if you guys want to write us, if you listen to this after the season, want to share your story, we're going to still have the blog. We're going to have other platforms that we can share content on and we'd love to share your story and we'd love to be a part of this so and wait please. just in case any of you is feeling very very afraid it's not like we're not coming back oh yeah we'll it's be coming just, back even sooner than you think it's just you know we yeah this is i'll, I'll give all the details in the last episode <laughs> but don't worry it's gonna be fine <laughs> bye guys bye guys If you're thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com. ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building. Daddy, that's QR.com. <laughs>